Section 25 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 39. Louis XIII, Cardinal Richelieu, and the Provinces, Part 2. It was not only the parliaments that resisted the efforts of Cardinal Richelieu to concentrate all the power of the government in the hands of the king. From the time that the sovereigns had given up convoking the states-general, the states-provincial had alone preserved the right of bringing to the foot of the throne the plaints and petitions of subjects. Unhappily, few provinces enjoyed this privilege. Languedoc, Brittany, Burgundy, Provence, Dauphiny, and the Countship of Pau alone were states-districts, that is to say, allowed to tax themselves independently and govern themselves to a certain extent. Normandy, though an elections district, and as such subject to the royal agents in respect of finance, had states which continued to meet even in 1666. The states provincial were always convoked by the king, who fixed the place and duration of assembly. The composition of the states provincial varied a great deal, according to the districts. In Brittany, all noblemen settled in the province had the right of sitting, whilst the third estate were represented by only forty deputies. In Languedoc, on the contrary, the nobility had but twenty-three representatives, and the class of the third estate numbered sixty-eight deputies. Hence, no doubt, the divergences of conduct to be remarked in those two provinces between the Parliament and the states provincial. In Languedoc, even during Montmorency's insurrection, the Parliament remained faithful to the king and submissive to the cardinal, whilst the states declared in favour of the revolt. In Brittany, the Parliament thwarted Richelieu's efforts in favour of trade, which had been enthusiastically welcomed by the states. In Languedoc, as well as in Dauphiny, the cardinal's energy was constantly directed towards reducing the privileges which put the imposts, and consequently the royal revenues, at the discretion of the states. Montmorency's insurrection cost Languedoc a great portion of its liberties, which had already been jeopardied, in 1629, on the occasion of the Huguenots' rising, and those of Dauphiny were completely lost. The states were suppressed in 1628. The states of Burgundy ordinarily assembled every three years, but they were accustomed on separating to appoint, quote, a chamber of states-general, whereat the nobility, clergy, and third estate were represented, and which was charged to watch over the interests of the province in the interval between the sessions. When, in 1629, Richelieu proposed to create, as in Languedoc, a body of, quote-unquote, elect, to arrange with the fiscal agents for the rating of imposts without the concurrence of the states, the assembly proclaimed that, quote, it was all over with the liberties of the province if the edict passed, end quote. and in the chamber of the nobility, two gentlemen were observed to draw their swords. But, spite of the disturbance which took place at Dijon in 1630, on occasion of an impost on wines, and which was called from the title of a popular ditty, La Sédition de l'Anturlu, the province preserved its liberties and remained a state's district. It was the same subject that excited in Provence the revolt of the Cascavieux, or bell-bearers. Whenever there was any question of elections, or quote-unquote elect, the conspirators sounded their bells as a rallying signal, and so numerous was the body of adherents that the bells were heard tinkling everywhere. The Prince of Condé was obliged to march against the revolters, and the states assembled at Tarascon found themselves forced to vote a subsidy of 1,500,000 livres. At this cost, the privileges of Provence were respected. The states of Brittany, on the contrary, lent the cardinal faithful support when he repaired thither with the king in 1626 at the time of the conspiracy of Chalais. 
The Duke of Vendôme, governor of Brittany, had just been arrested. The states requested the king, quote, never to give them a governor issue of the old dukes, and to destroy the fortifications of the towns and castles which were of no use for the defence of the country. End quote. The petty noblemen, a majority in the states, thus delivered over the province to the kingly power from jealousy of the great lords. The ordinance, dated from Nantes on the 31st of July, 1626, rendered the measure general throughout France. The battlements of the castles fell beneath the axe of the demolishers, and the masses of the district welcomed enthusiastically the downfall of those old reminiscences of feudal oppression. As a sequel to the systematic humiliation of the great lords, even when provincial governors, and to the gradual enfeeblement of provincial institutions, Richelieu had to create in all parts of France, still so diverse in organization as well as in manners, representatives of the kingly power, of too modest and feeble a type to do without him, but capable of applying his measures and making his wishes respected. Before now the kings of France had several times over perceived the necessity of keeping up a supervision over the conduct of their officers in the provinces. The inquisitors, or enquesteurs, of Saint-Louis, the ridings of the revising-masters, or chevauchés des maîtres de requête, the departmental commissioners, or commissaires des parties, were so many temporary and travelling inspectors, whose duty it was to inform the king of the state of affairs throughout the kingdom. Richelieu substituted for these shifting commissions a fixed and regular institution, and in 1637 he established in all the provinces overseers of justice, police, and finance, who were chosen for the most part from amongst the burgesses, and who before long concentrated in their hands the whole administration, and maintained the struggle of the kingly power against the governors, the sovereign courts, and the states provincial. At the time when the overseers of provinces were instituted, the battle of pure monarchy was gained. Richelieu had no further need of allies, he wanted mere subjects but at the beginning of his ministry he had felt the need of throwing himself sometimes for support on the nation and this great foe of the states-general had twice convoked the assembly of notables the first took place at fontainebleau in sixteen twenty five twenty six the cardinal was at that time at loggerheads with the court of rome Quote, if the most christian king said he is bound to watch over the interests of the catholic church he has first of all to maintain his own reputation in the world what use would it be for a state to have power riches and popular government if it had not character enough to bring other people to form alliance with it these few words summed up the great minister's foreign policy to protect the catholic church whilst keeping up protestant alliances the notables understood the wisdom of this conduct and richelieu received their adhesion it was just the same the following year the day after the conspiracy of chalet the cardinal convoked the assembly of notables quote, we do protest before the living God, said the letters of convocation, that we have no other aim and intention but his honour and the welfare of our subjects. That is why we do conjure in his name those whom we convoke, and do most expressly command them, without fear or desire of displeasing or pleasing any, to give us, in all frankness and sincerity, the counsels they shall judge on their consciences to be the most salutary and convenient for the welfare of the commonwealth." The assembly so solemnly convoked opened its sittings at the palace of the Tuileries on the 2nd of December, 1626. The state of the finances was what chiefly occupied those present, and the cardinal himself pointed out the general principles of the reform he calculated upon establishing. Quote, it is impossible, said he, to meddle with the expenses necessary for the preservation of the state. It were a crime to think of such a thing. The retrenchment, therefore, must be in the case of useless expenses." 
the most stringent rules are and appear to be even to the most ill-regulated minds comparatively mild when they have indeed as well as in appearance no object but the public good and the safety of the state to restore the state to its pristine splendor we need not many ordinances but a great deal of practical performance the performance appertained to richelieu and he readily dispensed with many ordinances the assembly was favorable to his measures but amongst those that it rejected was the proposal to substitute loss of offices and confiscation for the penalty of death in matters of rebellion and conspiracy Quote, better a moderate but certain penalty said the cardinal than a punishment too severe to be always inflicted it was the notables who preserved in the hands of the inflexible minister the terrible weapon of which he availed himself so often the assembly separated on the twenty fourth of february sixteen twenty seven the last that was convoked before the revolution of seventeen eighty nine it was in answer to its demands as well as to those of the states of sixteen fourteen that the keeper of the seals michael marillac drew up in sixteen twenty nine the important administrative ordinance that has preserved from its author's name the title of code michaud the cardinal had propounded to the notables a question which he had greatly at heart the foundation of a navy already when disposing some weeks previously of the government of brittany which had been taken away from the duke of vendome he had separated from the office that of admiral of brittany already he was in a position to purchase from m de montmorency his office of grand admiral of france so as to suppress it and substitute for it that of grand master of navigation which was personally conferred upon richelieu by an edict and registered on the eighteenth of march sixteen twenty seven of the power which it has seemed agreeable to his majesty that i should hold he wrote on the twentieth of january sixteen twenty seven i can say with truth that it is so moderate that it could not be more so to be an appreciable service seeing that i have desired no wage or salary so as not to be a charge to the state and i can add without vanity that the proposal to take no wage came from me and that his majesty made a difficulty about letting it be so the notables had thanked the king for the intention he had quote, of being pleased to give the kingdom the treasures of the sea which nature had so liberally preferred it for without keeping the sea one cannot profit by the sea nor maintain war harbours repaired and fortified arsenals established at various points on the coast organization of marine regiments foundation of pilot schools in fact the creation of a powerful marine which in sixteen forty two numbered sixty-three vessels and twenty-two galleys that left the roads of barcelona after the rejoicings for the capture of perpignan and arrived the same evening at toulon such were the fruits of richelieu's administration of naval affairs Quote, instead said the bailiff of forbin of having a handful of rebels forcing us as of late to compose our naval forces of foreigners and implore succor from spain england malta and holland we are at present in a condition to do as much for them if they continue in alliance with us or to beat them when they fall off from us so much progress on every point so many efforts in all directions eighty-five vessels afloat a hundred regiments of infantry and three hundred troops of cavalry almost constantly on a war footing naturally entailed enormous expenses and terrible burdens on the people it was richelieu's great fault to be more concerned about his object than scrupulous as to the means he employed for arriving at it his principles were as harsh as his conduct quote, reason does not admit of exempting the people from all burdens said he because in such cases on losing the mark of their subjection they would also lose remembrance of their condition and if they were free from tribute would think that they were from obedience also 
cruel words those, and singularly destitute of regard for Christian charity and human dignity, beside which, however, must be placed these, quote, if the subsidies imposed on the people were not to be kept within moderate bounds even when they were needed for the service of the country, they would not cease to be unjust. The strong common sense of this great mind did not allow him to depart for long from a certain hard equity. Posterity has preserved the memory of his equity less than of his hardness. Men want sympathy more than justice. End of chapter 39 End of section 25